Hey everyone, you're now part of the B2B Power Hour and I'm your host, Nicholas Dickett. I'm Morgan Smith. We help sales professionals power up their sales skills from first touch to revenue, one hour at a time. Join us for weekly live shows and interviews with industry experts breaking down what works and what doesn't in the remote sales era. Now, on to today's episode. It just seems like AI is everywhere today. So what I was thinking we could do, is just some roundtable conversation. I got some questions I'm going to be prompting to everybody. As folks are joining, hi, Jeffrey. Hi, everybody else who's listening. Make sure you drop questions in the chat. You drop comments in the chat or prompts. If you still have limited access to chat GPT, God knows what you can do with that for your comment. So maybe where I thought we could start, Colin, when you think about what AI can do today, what makes you excited for sellers? Like, What excites you about its potential for today? I think what excites me most about AI for sellers is that a lot of sellers have already been using AI in different tools like conversational AI that's been around for a while, getting contact data, like all these things that I think people hadn't really thought about the fact that they're already using AI in their tech stack. But with you know ChatGPT3, I think it really opened people's eyes of how powerful um, and how accurate AI can actually be and help you in your sales role, where I think there's like a foundational trust that wasn't there before of how they could leverage the power of AI as a seller. I love that. It's interesting you bring up like tools that we've already been using. I think about that a lot too, where it's like, we haven't had this input-output sort of model that we now seem to be able to use, but it's just been previously like layered in, embedded in, and now it feels a lot more interactive. So James, what are some tasks that sellers should be replacing with AI today? that maybe most sellers aren't doing? Like, what are some options out in the universe? Oh, yeah. It's an excellent question. And, you know, for me, like the thing that I get excited about and then the tasks that I look at are, you know, how can we reduce, you know, some of that anxiety that you have throughout the day? I think a lot of sellers, you know, when they're reaching out to folks, they want to have a really relevant message. They want to have, you know, really relevant content to send out there. But it can be tough to think of it all day, every day. Tough to understand what the right way to reach out to somebody is. And so using tools that can help streamline some of that research so that you know you're trying to start a relevant conversation, you've got a genuine reason for reaching out. That's where I look at it a lot because that's where I felt my anxiety as a seller the most. It's like, I don't want to bother this person, but I feel like I've got something that could help them if I can just frame it the right way. So understanding the way sellers like to communicate and leveraging AI and different signals like that to help get that information surfaced to sellers, packaging it up in something that can be created using, you know, text and natural language processing. I, I think that's, you know, current state really great thing that sellers can be tapping into. Sounds like a similar kind of product maybe a couple of y'all interact with on the daily. <laughs> what? what? There's this thing called Humantic? I don't know. Colin, do you know anything about that? Actually, Raj has a good question I'll get to in a second about the new Google Bard. But um, Eric, just as the part of this opening salvo, I know that you've done a lot of different like chat GPT prompts as a way for like creating messaging at scale across lots and lots and lots of different data inputs. So when a seller is approaching an outbound campaign, what's like the important piece for something like ChatGPT to take that information and run with it and produce something valuable in your experience? Yeah, 
And so I love that question because it goes back to one of my mantras of the more things change, the more things stay the same, right? And so I feel like a lot of people come to me about this AI question and they're like, well, you know, now I could do that. Like, what, what should I do? I'm like, just return back to basics. What is the thing that you can say to a potential customer that your competitors cannot say because you have some insight on the market, you have an insight on your product, you have an insight on their problem, whatever it might be. And from foundationally, all of those things are still the same. How can we unite a pain point that we see about their company with a problem that you can solve? So for instance, I ran a campaign where I was reaching out to staffing and recruiting companies. And I know that they're having a difficult time getting business right now because of the economy. All I had to say to them to get a 7% positive response rate is I helped another company automate their BD outreach. BD outreach is their jargon. So it's like triggered that I'm in their world. I helped another staffing and recruiting company automate their BD outreach. Could I send you a Loom video of how I did it? 7% positive response rate. And we're booking about like 60% of the people who respond. I know the market. I didn't need to use AI to generate that. I know that they have this problem. I have another client that we're working with though, and they help realtors organize and proliferate their content across Facebook, LinkedIn, Zillow.com, Realtor.com, Homes.com, all of these things. And originally they just wanted to send like blanket messaging to just everybody. And we were like doing okay on that. We tripled the conversion rate because we first scraped Google for the top five links when we look for the realtor's names and their company name, and then use generative AI to be like, okay, here are all the sites that they should be showing up on. What are the sites that they're showing up on? And if they show up on one site, say this. If they show up on two sites, say this. If they show up on three sites, say this. And then we tripled the conversion rate of that campaign because we brought, like I said from the beginning, that relevant pain point and we surfaced it. And then we said, hey, when we see these problems, usually you need this kind of help. We can help in this way. And so kind of circling back, the more things change, the more things stay the same. It really is all about if you want to use AI, how can you use it to surface a problem that your customer has that you would be able to solve with your product or service. I love that. And actually to Nick, and then this is for anybody is like, Nick, I know you talk and focus a lot about like pain-based prospecting or developing that critical insight when you're going on outbound, either campaign-based or account-based. So like how much do you see is still the seller's or might be the seller's responsibility to uncover the things like Eric is talking about versus using something like AI to articulate it for you or uncover it for you? Well, I don't know if we could before. And this is the one thing I've learned from everyone in this room is that, you know, a lot of the tools we had were very static. And so like you could do a Boolean search and get kind of close. But now you think of the different language models that you can actually go and build dynamic lists that are prioritized based on set keywords or even how it resonates with your profile we're moving into a world where this generic spam for sellers are going to get replaced or are going to be out of a job. And it's really exciting because now the profession of sales is going to be recognized for those true account-based sellers, the people that really have that market insight and that domain knowledge that people are willing to pay for. Because now that flip is going to happen because all that background... like. One of the most beautiful things I've seen someone do in the last little while is they were role-playing with chat GTP3. They weren't sure how to go and approach this one executive. And they're like, I'm just not confident. So what do they do? They started role-playing. They went and primed it so that it, hey, I want to talk to the CFO. And they started asking it questions. And then they did basically like a Chris Voss accusation audit of all the crap that they could have thrown at them. And they're like, okay, I feel bulletproof. And they went and they got, and it worked. I was like, this world 
that we got like sectioned off into our own little hidey holes and remote and you know the remote world we now now finally have the tools where i can't wait to see where sales goes in the next year I love the bold prediction that Nick just just dropped there about uh, potential sellers. <laughs> oh, the spam-based uh, sellers are over. I saw your face on that, so I wanted to ask you about that. What do you think? Do you think this will be abused more or like? <laughs> I mean, everything good, people are going to find a way to abuse it, of course, right? But all that does is you know, make it easier to stand out, right? When everybody is doing one thing, we can do another, right? I think the challenge for sellers is, you know, how to leverage AI right, right? And how to, because when it, all this noise started happening, you know, when it went from like zero to a million users in like, I don't know, three, it was like four days or something like that, something crazy, right? Went crazy on Twitter and then made its way to LinkedIn. And a lot of the initial feedback was, no, it's garbage. Like, it's horrible. Like, why would you use that? It's ridiculous. And it's like, it's based on how you're using it. So if it's not working well for you, then you're not using it properly and you're not feeding it good inputs, right? And so, I mean, I think a lot of people here understand at a level of like how to use it at scale well. But even if you're just an SDR, BDR, and like, you know, even just using it in a lot of one off basis of like helping you, like Nick said, with role playing, which is a super creative way to use it that I haven't heard of, but even just helping you with your research. And um, like Eric said, with those market trends and things and insights that would take you like 30 minutes to research, you could do it in a matter of minutes or less if you know what to ask and how to ask it properly. I love that. I know we got plenty of people watching this, so please make sure to drop uh, questions or comments in the chat. Love to throw them to the panel as we go through some of this conversation today. So speaking of prompts, and uh, maybe this is to both James and Eric in different applications, because uh, Eric, you, you're feeding all these data inputs. James, you work for a great company with all these content outputs. Like, How do you see when a seller is first interacting with these products? Let's, I don't mean to be uh, rude, but maybe let's call them an amateur or a novice when it comes to interacting with AI. What is it that they're likely to miss? when starting to use these products that maybe somebody like yourselves who have a lot more experience with it would it would say, oh, no, 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 don't do that. James, maybe? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I think one of the things that I see the most is there's this unlock that needs to occur where folks understand just how, you know, one, conversationally, you can speak to the AI, but two, just the, the range of commands that you can give it. You know, I'll often see folks, you know, not realize that just changing one or two words and how you framed the command can really dictate the output that you get. And so, you know, oftentimes somebody that hasn't used AI before, I might see them get stuck and they're like, it's not giving me what I want. When really all it is, is just a slight change in how you're commanding the AI. I think that's the biggest gap that I see for sure. Can get really creative with that and get a lot of really creative and interesting output that can help, you know spur on that creative juices that you need to get flowing, you know? So all I was just going to add on top of that is, and I'm looking for a better analogy. So if somebody has one, I'm all ears. But I think OpenAI is kind of, if you don't know what you're looking at, OpenAI is kind of like a five-year-old at a bowling alley where it's got like no chance of hitting a pin whatsoever. Like if you just give it nothing, like it's just going to go nuts. And so, but if you like put the guardrails up, you give it the ball, you give it the ramp and you point it the ramp for it and everything and you structure it in a way that it almost can't mess up then you can hit strikes every time. And so the first thing I always tell people is to just 
overprompt it like crazy. Give it examples. Say things that you feel like you don't even need to say. Sometimes I even say please and thank you in my prompts. I'm not sure if that makes a difference, but I try to be polite to our AI overlords. And the other thing I would just add is OpenAI, a lot of people don't know this, is trained on data from 2021 or something like that. And so sometimes I'll have people be like, oh, uh, check this website to see if they have API documentation. If they have API documentation, say this. And then AI will write a sick email for you. And I'm like, great. They just lied to you. It has no clue if there's any API documentation on there. It was just pretending like it found the API documentation. So that's the other thing I tell people too, is you you need to stipulate. If you want it to do research for you, it's better to give it the data and then stipulate based off the data than it is to just expect it to come up with answers. So over prompting it and just give like over stipulate the data that you want it to get from it. Love that. Colin, you had something that you had, uh, we're going to add. Yeah, I actually really like the bowling analogy, Eric. So to kind of add to you know what both you and, and James were saying here, right, is, and this is for people who are maybe just getting started, like getting better at asking, you know, specific inputs, right? And maybe even some good manners sounds like it could work out well. <laughs> but even just, you know, some follow, like asking for additional information, right? Like I think some people don't even realize like, okay, if you ask something, and you don't really necessarily like what you get, like you can ask for another option or you can add some additional context to your ask. Like you don't have to, you know, start back over. You kind of, and then you really start to, through that exercise, as painful as it might be, like initially, you start to then understand what you need to input to get a good response, you know, with your initial ask. That's super interesting. So you might not get a strike every time, but maybe you get a spare. I'm digging this bowling analogy. I think, Eric, it was great. We've got strikes. We've got spares. <laughs> There's a couple of people who are like, I'm not so sure. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. I like that. So the one thing that was kind of funny as you were saying that as both Eric and Colin, went, I was like, hey, you know what the really interesting thing is now with AI is now that one pin, you know, when you go in, you're like, oh, I got a strike. And that one pin on the side is sitting there and you're like, oh, crap, because now you got to go and snipe just that one. I think the really cool thing about like research is now it makes it easy to do that at a scale that you can actually exceed quota on consistently. Because it's like, okay, if I do my win-loss analysis, if I'm doing really strong research and I have good indicators of paid or really good indicators of fit, now you can snipe that all day. Where before, we all know how many hours of research you'd be sitting there on LinkedIn or even like Boolean searches on Google. And you're like, oh my God. And then it's like three days are gone. And you're like, okay, now I finally have a list that I can go work for the next month. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but let's be honest here, right? Like most outreach that's happening today, they're not leaving one pin up. They're maybe hitting down one of the total amount, right? So, uh, you know, let's be honest. We're going to honestly overuse the bowling analogy. I can already, I can already tell. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that comes to mind then is, you know, I've played with a tool. I think all of us have. I think everybody in the audience has at least had some exposure to it in various applications, not just ChatGPT, but a lot of different like AI-powered solutions here. So, and this is for everybody, so chime in. What balance do you see between the individual seller's role on an outbound campaign and then the AI's role? And the example that comes to mind is, like Eric, you had this great video about, integrating a bunch of data from Clay and then using ChatGPT to write cold outbound emails to those all the way down the list, basically. In that instance, is it the seller's responsibility to just hit send? Or, you know, should they be investing time to sort of like review? And if so, 
Like, what's that balance? What should that balance feel like for the individual seller running outbound, but still using these AI tools, particularly to write on their behalf? Spicy question, Morgan. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to take first stab at that one? Yeah. So, and I have a definite opinion on this that I was speaking to a CEO and they had like eight SDRs on their team. He was like, Eric, uh, I was working with them. I fixed their email delivery. They went from like an 8% open rate and we got them to like a 72% open rate. And they were like, well, how can we scale this? I'm thinking about hiring five more SDRs. And I was like, or you just set up five more inboxes and we just automate all of it. And because a lot of the things that they were having their SDRs manually search for, I was able to do all of the automatic research for. And uh, we didn't actually need what I would call a meet gate in between the email and the research, because if it was true, it was just true. Yep, that's a very scientific word for, you know, you know that. And so he was asking me, he's like, well, then what should I do? I'm like, well, so for instance, one of the things is they were looking on the, the company's website. And if the company website mentioned data processing addendum or GDPR, they knew it wasn't a good fit because they've already done their GDPR processing. So then if they didn't mention it, it was like, okay, this is a perfect fit. We checked their website. They don't have GDPR like keywords on it. I'm like, okay, like I can automate that entire thing. So what do you need an SDR to do now? And so I was telling him, I was like, they should be making dials and you should teach them how to socially sell and not to just go on LinkedIn and automate their outreach, but to become beacons for your brand where they can get 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 impressions per post and have the marketing team, even if just one person is creating the content and then just siphon it down. So, and now all these things change, but my opinion is that as long as we're say in this cold email deliverability infrastructure right now. And so what I'm saying is, you know, if the rules are still the same as they are today, where you could set up a sequencer, automate emails and things like that, unless you have a very, very sophisticated product that you cannot automate the research for, I can see six months in a year, SDRs are just posting on LinkedIn, maybe following up with people on LinkedIn and then just dialing all day. There's, I don't see a huge need unless there's some outlier of research that needs to be done for people to be sitting behind an email and, and sending those things all day. I like the hot take. James, Colin? Funnily enough, like I really agree with Eric on this. You know, I think that what we're seeing with AI is that a lot of the manual research that needs to happen truly can be automated, um, especially if you have a good understanding across your organization on you know, the problem that you solve. Because once you kind of understand the different ways that your product can solve problems, then you start to see those problems everywhere. And you know what to look for, you know what to research. And if you can get into a system where, you know, that research is being surfaced for you and you can drop it into your email, great. If you can go further than that, though, and have that research crafted into an email for you that can just be sent, you're saving a ton of time. You're getting more relevant and uh, helpful conversations started with prospects. You're helping people solve problems. Um, and you're probably going to feel better because you know that everything you're sending out isn't just a template. It's actually custom for that person that you're trying to talk to. Colin? I love the question, Morgan. And I think that the big question in there is you're saying, hey, do we just use AI to you know do the research and craft the emails and click send? I'm more of the opinion of, I think we still check them. You know, I don't think the AI is to the point where I would just, and maybe, you know, some people here on the panel have a difference of opinion. I don't think it's to the point where I would, you know, fully rely on it to do the research, write the email and hit go. I think it's pretty darn close to being there. And I would, you know, if I had to take a, a guess here, what's available to us today versus what's actually available is vastly different. And we're going to see that get better. And I think part of the reason of 
it being you know opened up is part of that plan, right? Is the more people using it, the smarter it's going to get, the better it's going to get. Now, if you are just nailing it on the research and the prompts and the inputs, you could probably get it a lot closer than maybe most where it's maybe good enough to just click send and go. But I don't think that the majority of sellers have the skill set at that level to be able to do that. Just to add in, I would totally agree. Like the emails that are ready and you don't need to hit, like you need no review on are using no artificial intelligence on my side, by the way. Like all that we're doing, and if it's using AI, it's like not writing the whole email. It's just structuring maybe a snippet of the email. And so like in the example that I gave about the GDPR stuff, if they don't mention GDPR on their website, we're going to say the same thing over and over and over again. And so that you don't need to put a human behind. But if you want something else to be like, I just I just launched a campaign as a test and I actually had to shut it off because people thought I needed their service. I was just using AI to generate a company mission statement based off of somebody's LinkedIn company description and just being like, you know, hey, Morgan, I looked at your company LinkedIn page and it looks like you help people generative AI afterwards. Is that right? And I would put that in the end sent like 200 emails and we got like 25 responses, not a single miss. Everybody's saying, yeah, that's totally right. That prompt took me, I don't know, probably three and a half hours in total to get completely right. And all I was able to do was just summarize somebody's company mission statement, you know, and that's like the easiest thing to be able to do. Um, so to definitely agree with Colin. It's like the only time that we don't need, you know, that meat gate is like, the data is 100% true. Like you're hiring for a sales development representative. I have the link. It's proving it. We do a keyword search and now we ship a message, you know, not just letting AI just run around and, and do things. For anybody that's counting, that's the third time we've said meet gate in this session. <laughs> I'm into it. I like it. Now four, four, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the one thing I don't understand, when sequencers became a thing, why did quality control die as a seller? Like, one of the things when I started using a sequencer is I started to shift from being the person that was doing all the manual work to being the quality control to make sure what was going out was worth sending. And I feel like it's going to be interesting when this AI then focuses on that as that like circuit breaker. I could see somebody creating this that like just before it goes out, check their profile to make sure that what you're sending is actually relevant and that you didn't screw up on your prompts. Because... I don't know if you, I'm sure you guys have received a couple bad ones. I definitely have both on LinkedIn and email. And it's like, you're trying to sell me a research service when you didn't do your research. Hmm. hmm. <laughs> James, I'm sure you uh, have plenty of exposure to this. Oh, yeah. See that all the time. I think like that's where the rep level, you know, the SDR level, like discernment has to come into play. Like you still have to have the ability as a, uh, as a human to be able to discern whether something is of quality or not. So I completely agree with that. And I think that's, you know, that's an area where the AI and helping to put those disparate pieces of information together and frame it in a way that makes sense can be really helpful to accelerate that seller. But without them being able to look at it and be like, is this right? Like you're still going to have a missing component. You lose that element of quality control. And I think the quality control piece is one of the things I'm most excited to see because where I see the AI being able to take us is, you know, having more control over the tone and the brand voice that you're sending out. So you get this, you know, kind of immediate consistency to your seller's language, irrespective of where they're at in their ramp period. And I think those things are going to help, you know, along the way, kind of smooth out all of that workflow. Yeah. So if you want QA, it's a mandatory meet gate. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, just to sum it up. But I mean... 
I think you, you should have had OpenAI sponsoring this session because they've gotten 28 minutes of airtime here. But yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this is funny, Colin, because I actually and James, you sort of bridged this perfectly where I where I wanted to shift this from like what's available to us today to what's going to be coming down the pipeline in the next two years. And this opens up like a big old can of worms, Pandora's box of opportunities. I think, James, you and I had chatted the other day about somebody using like a synthetic voice, so like AI-generated voice that then could be used to cold call either on a script or like real-time responses and basically run a sales motion without having a proverbial meat gate here which is really interesting to me. So for for each of you and maybe we'll start with Eric on this like as you think about sales for the next 2 years. So I mean, pretty long time when it comes to the power of AI. What are you most excited about the like possibility of any sort of product or type could provide to uh, sales organizations or sellers? You know, I'm always thinking about things like this because you know, if you think about how we were using LinkedIn two years ago, right, you could set up an account and then connect to like a thousand people a week. And then you could send all these messages and it was just like crazy. And then it just tightens and tightens and tightens and kind of like all conversion rates end up going to zero in in marketing, no matter what you're trying to do. And so um, I'm always thinking about, oh, okay, so what are we doing today? And how could we 10x that? And that'll probably be what's happening in two years normally. And so how can we take advantage of that today? And the most exciting thing that I think I see is I really want Outbound to turn into the Instagram ads network is essentially what I think it's going to be. Because you think about, well, why do we even need Outbound? Well, we need Outbound because people have problems that they don't even know that they need to solve. They don't even know how to solve or they know that they need to solve it, but they're not Googling and doing it, their research on their own or anything like that. And the solution isn't completely available to them, right? Because Otherwise, they'll do their own research, they'll watch YouTube videos, whatever it might be. And what I loved about the Instagram ad network, and I remember having conversations with my friends about this, or I guess you could call it the Meta ad network. I would have conversations with my friends about this. It's like we would say Bed Bath & Beyond, and then Bed Bath & Beyond would show an ad on our phones. And we're like, oh my gosh, they're watching us. And it's like, well, that's not true. You search Bed Bath & Beyond at your house. I connected to your Wi-Fi. We're in the same location. Like, There's a lot less creepy things that are going on than that. And I want Outbound to turn into that where you're only reaching out to people when you know these boxes get checked and then you're ready to go and because uh, back to the quality control thing like some of it can be blamed on the reps but i think there's also some like blame to be had with either sales leadership or just overall leadership because the amount of people that i speak to who say if a chief marketing officer just gets our email they're going to respond our product is that good our service is that good like we just need to get in front of as many people as we can because they will respond and then they get like no responses and they're like what like what is this we just have to try harder more volume and they just like let it rip and so um i think outbound will become you know watching all these public triggers and then when the stars align triggering a message to somebody and and sending it off that way and i think that's what's like the most exciting and then that's a win-win for everyone win-win for buyers win-win for sellers and it's just who's going to invest in these systems and get there first i don't know why i keep thinking of like somebody wearing their watch like smartwatch be like sir i just noticed that you're stressed today could i go ahead and send you a calm Yeah, if privacy laws will allow it, right? Because all of this is like possible. It just depends on what the laws are going to allow. So like what Morgan was talking about, are you allowed to set up a bot 
and train it on all of your sales questions and have Scarlett Johansson automatically call your market? No, legally, you cannot do that. But when I joined this call and I had voice AI accidentally turned on and I sounded like a woman, is that legal? Maybe. It depends on where you want to take your brand and if you think that fits inside of your brand. But yeah, and then all of this will just be like, what if Gmail locks us down one day and you can't automate messages above 20 emails a day? All right, what are you going to do then? You know, so and then a, a ads content messaging style where you've only got 20 shots a day, you got to really take them is, is going to be necessary. Hmm, that's fascinating. James, for you, what is exciting about the next two years for AI? Yeah, well, what Eric said is definitely exciting because, you know, I see a lot of friction for buyers right now. And I also see a lot of different trends as far as like people want to be able to buy things and and make purchases in a a more streamlined way that's more personal to them. Right. So as we see, you know, more millennials joining the management structure and buying habits start to change, I think AI is going to help outbound sellers, especially get in touch with those people via channels that are more difficult to get in touch with folks today. I think it's going to help them craft, uh, you know, more relevant, not only messaging, but also packaging the different buyer journeys that happen across different management layers at organizations in a way that you can truly do that account-based mapping and workflow all using AI in a really well thought out researched way. The other side of it that I'm really excited about is more so on like the employee wellness and well-being side of things. Because there's so many tasks and so many things that go into, you know, being able to hit quota and being able to hit your activity metrics each week and each day that to an extent sometimes get a little bit bogged down with all of the disparate technologies that we have. So what I'm excited is to see AI, you know, start to automate more of those manual human required tasks that exist out there so that humans can focus on the things that they're uniquely good at, you know, being creative, solving complex situational problems, things like that. And and being able to see more of a balance on allowing sellers to really rise to that occasion and and give the greatness that is inherent within them rather than being stuck doing the same autonomous motion all day. That's super interesting. Colin, how about you? What's coming down the pipe? I mean, I think we're in alignment here on, you know, uh, sort of the excitement for what's to come. I think the common theme uh, in line with what Eric and James are saying is if for sales teams that really lean into leveraging the power of AI, especially as it starts to get better, it's not, I don't believe in the school of thought of like, it's going to replace sellers, which is like the fear of some people, right? Um, but it allows them to free them up to do other things that are important that maybe aren't getting done today or aren't getting done as well today where you know they can focus on what i call you know revenue generating activities right to like write a good email well or to do the research required to write a good email well and 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 even like some follow up you know sort of tasks things you know there's many things that can be automated by the power of ai to free up your sdrs your bdrs your full cycle aes to be doing what they should be doing most is spending time with potential prospects and customers. And Nick, for you, anything stand out exciting? You had sort of mentioned a little bit, but even didn't know if anything else. I think the one thing that's going to be really interesting, and I'd actually kind of plays on what Eric was talking about, is I see inbound chatbots where they're focused on customer experience less than anything else. So really, it's going to solve the issue that we see with the inbound demo flows where they send it to an SDR, which is usually a waste of time for the buyer because it's an unneeded step when it's high quality. And then just really focusing on preparing that buyer to have that bigger conversation. But I think what we're going to see, meanwhile, 
that's going to be really interesting is a blend between timing, targeting, channel selection, and resonance. And so kind of taking what Eric was saying about like that sniper approach is you're going to really dial in those triggers, whether it's through win loss or whatever. Like if it's linked to your CRM, it can see that. And then nailing that time. Like why now? Why change? Why now? And I think the other part that's going to be really tough, and this is going to because buyers' preferences have changed so much, is going to be channel selection. The amount of sellers that reach out to me like, I'm crushing it on WhatsApp. And it's like, how the hell are you using WhatsApp to sell? Like, you got to fill me in here. Like, this sounds really interesting. Or they're like, or, you know, I'm combing through YouTube comments and I'm using YouTube comments to go and find people that are looking to learn. Or I was on Reddit because I know I sell to IT and engineering and I know that's where they hang out. And so I was looking for certain keywords within Reddit. But the thing that they were saying that was tough was the resonance. Because a lot of the time we have our tone, we have our voice, but we don't change the formatting for the platform that we're posting on. So I think the really interesting thing is going to be the quality control aspect that's going to come out of this. And like even Colin, that might be something even for you to talk about, like using emotional intelligence and the level of resonance we can get from catering the same message just to resonate with that single buyer and how they think. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for teeing that one up, Nick. I mean, that's essentially what we do here at Humantic, right? Is we're allowing, because we're human beings, right? So we all have personality types. We all have things that we care about, things that we don't, things that we rank in order of importance, you know, when making business decisions. And that's been a missing ingredient to a lot of outbound strategies is... And a lot of times, okay, so if I'm the seller and, and I'm writing these messages or, you know, DMs or WhatsApp messages or, you know, LinkedIn DMs, whatever it is, I'm writing in my communication style and preference, right? Which only is going to work when speaking to somebody who is similar to myself. Or in some cases, you know, you have sort of sales enablement or business development leaders that are writing all the messaging for the sequences, right? And it's written in their communication style and preference. We've seen like some really phenomenal lifts in positive outcomes on outbound by adjusting the messaging based on segmenting based on personality type, which, you know, wasn't possible before. People are mostly doing persona-based selling, which is great, but the one missing person is the recipient of that message. That try-hard Tammy looks a little different everywhere you go. Hey, Morgan. Yeah, <laughs> it's my favorite way to uh, bastardize the marketing persona process. The try-hard Tammies or whatever else they create, you know. That was actually one of his personas, just as a side. It was. Kind of to throw to the panel. Forgive me on any names. I think Srijan had asked a good question, and uh, Nick, you had hinted at this, but I wanted to get. James, Eric, Colin, your take on this, which is like, what is the future of conversational AI tools such as Lavender and Yellow in the era of ChatGPT? And I suppose the little asterisk I'd like to add on that is as ChatGPT seems to get more and more advanced or more, let's even call it more and more competent at its job, like where do these sort of layers fit into a tech stack for a sales organization? Well, anytime I look at AI tools, right, and people ask me, oh, have you seen this AI tool? And I'm always like, all right, guys, they're all the same. It's all open AI, and it's just going back to it. What have they done to teach the five-year-old how to bowl, though? And so that's what's interesting about these tools. I've never heard of Yellow. Uh, that's very interesting that somebody is trying to copy Lavender's. I think they're a, uh, a chatbot 
actually. I think yellow is a uh, a top. Oh, okay. So sorry. I was like, is there really a lavender competitor and they name themselves yellow? Like that's wild. <laughs> that the whole company is going to be named Johns instead too, instead of everyone being Will. And so what they've done is they've just taken you know best practices and they've just prompted the the OpenAI to help you and you know use those guardrails to hit a strike. And so um, ChatGPT as a company or OpenAI as a company its very goal is to be the foundation of this AI pyramid. And so tools like this will continue to pop up because they'll become more and more refined towards at the top. Your use case is at the top here. And sales emails is a use case that ChatGPT will never be trained on and will it will never be perfected on because that's not their purpose. And so these tools will continue to pop up. It was so funny on Twitter. I literally saw somebody tweet yesterday wow, the amount of people who are just putting AI in their startup just to be able to raise more money is nuts. And then a VC right after that literally tweeted, if you have an AI startup, I want to talk to you. And I was like, I... <laughs> That's not new, though. That's like old news. Yeah, 100%, 100%. But I more wanted to tell the funny story there. But yes, so like these tools are still going to proliferate. It's just, you know, OpenAI is going to get better at their thing and these tools are going to get better at their thing. And that's the way it's going to be. In order for these tools to win, they've got to separate themselves from some gimmicky new AI thing that's doing something that everybody else is doing already versus what are you doing as an AI company that's unique and different from other products in that space? And I think that even you know selling an AI tool into sales organizations, you even run into sales leaders who have gone down the path of trying an AI tool that was like, hey, we thought it was going to be great. We thought we were going to get these sort of results even maybe based on the noise that you may hear about it. And the results were like nil, you know, like just not really good at all. So you're sort of fighting up against that too, is like when you go into these, you know, like, is this another gimmicky thing that like sounds cool, looks cool and is shiny object or like, does it actually move the needle for my sales org? Yep, 100%. The way that I see the technology really going is, you know, it's really easy to get distracted by what that new shiny thing is. But the folks that are going to rise above and and kind of succeed out of this are going to be the folks that can see like, hey, these are the core things that have to get done for me to move my business forward. And we're going to automate or augment or, you know, improve upon those processes using AI. And I think the technologies that can collapse different work um, and different functions all into their platform are going to be you know, well positioned for that, because there's just so much that has to get done. And it's not one piece here, one piece there, you can kind of death by a 1000 cuts it through your way of AI tech stack. And Colin, what you mentioned is really interesting, because I think the other thing that we're going to see is the folks who can develop a really strong education and implementation program are going to go really far. Because when I hear from folks, they're like, Oh, yeah, I didn't get the results I want. I'm like, well, how'd you use it? And usually when they start talking about it, they were using it wrong. So, you know, it's on us to really go in and evangelize and, and, you know, talk about the education piece behind this and how you can use these tools to go further faster. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, And I think that also to kind of add to that as well is like, as these more of these tools pop up, like, is there anything unique and proprietary that they do? Or is it literally just a sexy front end that's APIing into, you know, this tool that you could pretty much do on your own if you had those bowling guardrails up? Yeah. One interesting thing that comes up for me, uh, and this is a bit of an upshift, downshift, I don't know which way. We're mixing analogies today. But uh, obviously, creating content for social feeds, Eric, you had hinted that 
maybe the future of an NAI-powered SDR is really evangelizing a brand. We've talked kind of around this idea in a second, so I just wanted to pose to everybody, how do you see AI's influence in creating like social content? Now, James, this is a softball for you, given you work at Reggie, but I want to think sort of at like a macro scale where is there a risk that everybody just sort of starts putting out similar kinds of content for everybody? Or does that come back to the pyramid model Eric was talking about? Don't they already? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's different there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. You're totally right. It is definitely a risk of, you know, hitting, am I going to be regurgitating kind of the same content? But I think that's actually where the advantage comes in from tools like Reggie and other tools that are out there, you know, helping with the text-based communication, because in the lens of like social posts, right? Like I hear all the time, like, oh yeah, our CEO, our founder, like wrote this very beautiful press release and I need to take content from this and turn it into, you know, five or 10 different types of collateral. Well, if you have a technology where, you know, for instance, like with Reggie, you can come in, drop a link to that piece of collateral and have it generate, you know, five social posts for you at a time. And then you're dropped into your editing and publishing workflow from there. So you can fine tune that language, add the creativity to it. So it doesn't sound the same as everybody else. And then suddenly you've got this more, um, you know, consistent content calendar going and you're not piling deadlines on top of your people because you're better able to remix the great content that already exists. One area I see at a ton is like, there's really great nuggets buried in your company's website that marketing spent all this time on. And that information doesn't get translated into the sales language. So bridging those workflows is another area that AI can really help to, to take existing content that's valuable and remix it into the appropriate channels and audiences that it needs to go to. Now that's cool. Before I knew about that, AI has no chance in helping somebody build their audience. And the big reason I say that is, and so that's very interesting. I did not know that AI could do that, but you still need the content to be generated from the beginning anyway. So it's basically just like summarizing it to go into the social media. The reason I say this is because Justin Welsh and I could post the same exact thing and I could get 1500 impressions and he could get a million. Even if it's like the exact same post, it has some kind of viral flair to it and, it and it's just good to go. A big reason for that is because I think when people start their social followings, you need to talk about one thing and you need to be like so expertise at that one thing that nobody else can copy you. And that's how you could build an audience. Morgan, the way we got connected was you were posting on TikTok about like awesome LinkedIn strategies. And I was like, whoa, there's somebody else who's on, who's in tech sales who's on here. Like, didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize that. And so anytime I think about my LinkedIn posts, I'm always thinking about what is the post that I'm going to write right now that I'm uniquely qualified to write? Because those are the ones that perform the best for me right now. And then once you get an audience, you can kind of get a little bit more general and, and, and things kind of pick up differently. But I haven't been able to successfully get AI to do that for me because like the post that I'm posting tomorrow is about how we got that 3x conversion rate for one of my customers using generative AI and like going over all of their Google searches and like doing all of those things. No shot I would ever get Jasper AI to write that for me. It just wouldn't happen. Maybe if I recorded a video of it and then it summarized it and turned it into a LinkedIn post, like maybe that could happen. But I think as far as helping you build a brand, I think it's a long ways off because when you start building a brand, you have to be so specific, so expert like on your topic that it can't drill down deep enough from what's inside your head. I wouldn't disagree when building the brand part, but growing your brand, different story, right? Like, so just the example that you mentioned, Eric, right, is that post that you have that's going out tomorrow about a very real experience, but 
could AI take that? And let's say you drop it tomorrow and it's not a banger, right? Could AI give you 10 other versions to test and maybe one of them in there is? Yeah, that's 100% true. Yeah, agreed. I still love that we continue to come back to the bowling analogy here, which is like, <laughs> if this tool is a five-year-old, like what guidelines are we providing to it? Yeah, sorry. If it wasn't a strike, if it wasn't a strike, <laughs> could the AI give you, you know, a strike-worthy post? It is interesting to me because as we're nearing the end of the, our time together, like I have considered myself somewhat skeptical about like, the power of this, like maybe I'm just kind of like, yeah, whatever. It's not a silver bullet. But of course, there's lots of use cases. But I love the distinction that y'all have drawn between what the tool is capable of at a foundational layer and then the custom things that are built on top of it for specific use cases and how at every layer of that triangle Eric laid out, you still need a human, a meat gate. I don't know if that's number six or seven today to go through and actually prompt it meaningfully. And so it becomes this interesting like augmentation workflow for the seller, the marketer, anybody using this specific use case tool. And to me that, I don't know, man, that's pretty cool. That's really, really cool and interesting to me. The question becomes though, as it gets smarter, as more people use it, as we get whatever version of it that's actually really available today, can the sloppy, not so good, prompts actually work over time where meat gate may be not required number six for those that are counting <laughs> see yeah that's interesting to me i don't know like how for everybody here as we're nearing the end and maybe nick i'll start with you what do you think is the probability that the like outbound sales motion will be let's say mostly AI powered within the next year or so? Like, is this basically here for sales organizations and they need to start rewriting job descriptions and rethink the way that they're hiring sellers? I don't think you're going to like my answer and I don't think many sales development people will. Okay. <laughs> but most sales orgs are lazy and they spam the hell out of the market and they destroy their reputation and they burn bridges faster than they can build them. So they're going to just use AI to do that at a scale that's going to burn Tam the fastest that it's ever been done in history. And there's going to be the new Guinness World Record. What's going to happen, though, and I think it was Colin that had said it earlier, is the stars are going to go and rise. And the people that really get this, that are taking the sniper approach, and people are just buying a bigger machine gun, are going to win at a scale that we've never seen before as well. And I think the people that start looking at the prospecting experience are the ones that are going to really shine because there's so many ways to use this in that cycle. And like what James was saying is, and this might surprise people, you don't buy technology to build a process. You buy technology to enhance a process that already exists that's working. And so if we start taking that apart, yeah, I bet you 80, 90% of companies are going to do this because of the, the penny pinching right now. But if anything, it's actually going to do more harm than good. So I really hope that they take this as a warning. Not that I, I'm trying to be mean. I love sales. Sales is... I think the best profession to be in, but it should be treated as that a profession and you should master your craft, not throw sloppy garbage out there and hope that something works if you just do it enough times. Yeah. Well said. Well said. I mean, to add to that, right, is if you compared a sales org that's not using any of this sort of technology today versus one that is, the results are vastly different, 
right? So I don't know why you wouldn't start to embrace some of this stuff, but using it smart, using it well, rather than just, you know, trying to do more with less and, you know, invest in the technology and still have a crappy process, like Nick said. And unfortunately, a lot you should have a good process, then invest in technology. Should being the keyword, most people don't. So really nailing like who is your targeting, what is messaging that actually works, like getting all that stuff figured out and then leveraging AI to do it better, to do it faster, to do it more efficiently. There's just so many capabilities, uh, assuming that you have a good foundation to start with, right? Yeah, to double tap on that, I, I think a lot of it's also going to come down to, you know, that sales leadership. Uh, you know, you really need sales leaders that are, are willing to understand the tools that their teams are using. And, and AI can feel like one of those things where it's like, yeah, I can kind of set it and forget it. And I can give it to my team. They'll figure out how to use it. They're savvy. But, you know, the teams that are going to stand out and use it correctly and use it well, um, I think are, are going to have that synergy between their leaders and their frontline staff. And like, you know, this is the way we use it. This is how we talk about our brand. This is our ICP and getting much more uh, robust in the way they they do their account planning that way. I feel like Eric's got to just going to rein it in with the bowling analogy to finish. <laughs> <laughs> how many more meat gates can you get in be- in the next four minutes? I guess I would just basically agree with a lot of the things that are being said here. I think. It's still all going to come down to how can you do your problem sniffing in a way that you could actually relate the problem that you solve with your company in your outbound motion. And it, it's just going to come down to who can do that the best, you know, and who could set up those triggers, who could set up those systems. And I actually maybe even kind of disagree with that. You're going to burn your TAM faster than ever before, only because. Google is just crushing people on spam filters right now. Like uh, Google, the spam filter might even just save your brand because they stop you from from sending out all of those bad messages. Again, like everybody's saying, it's just going to come down to the people wielding the technology and what they do with it. People listening now are going to heed Eric's warning and start texting all of us. So be careful. (laughs) (laughs) Is a meat gate required not to hit the spam filter? Right. (laughs) Okay, we got one more in then before the end of the hour. Hey, Colin Mitchell, head of sales at Humantic, Eric uh, Noslowski, growth at Clay, and also head of growth engine, James, Eric Muth, head of pre-sales at James Reichmuth at Reggie. Thank you all for joining this conversation. I feel like I took away a lot of interesting insights. I'm also definitely going to start looking up some tools and including them in some workflows. And if you're not already, you should be following these guys out on LinkedIn. They post great content. They post insightful stuff. I know everybody's talking about these things anyways right now. These are guys to follow if you're not already. So Colin, James, Eric, thanks for joining the B2B Power Hour. And thanks everybody who attended today and dropped in some comments and questions. Cheers. Did you love today's episode? Subscribe now to have our three weekly episodes waiting for you. And if you really like our content, please leave a five-star review. But if you're not ready to give us a review, check out another episode and follow us on LinkedIn. We'd love to win you over. See you next time. See you next time.